a Pulp MX Network production. With your support of our sponsors, we have reached over 800 podcasts and counting. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, support your moto addiction by buying from our sponsors. It's the Steve Mathis Show on RacerX.com. Presented by Fox Racing. The original moto podcast. Featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Racer X podcast, presented by Fox Racing. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. RacerXOnline.com. My name is Steve Mathis. Uh, you need some gear? Check out Foxhead.com. 2016 Flex Air out now. Limited edition out now. R- Kenny Roxon, Ryan Dungey, some of the guys that wear Fox. Instinct Boot, of course, award-winning boot. And uh, much more going on with the folks at Fox. Foxhead.com. Mountain bike stuff as well. And uh, everything you need. For, they've got casual wear as well, of course. If you don't know about Fox... I mean, come on, just stop this podcast already and, and go jump off a building. It's Fox Racing, everybody. Like I said, I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line, a guy who he completely covered Florida from any which way you want. Florida Bike Week. He uh, went to the uh, Supercross. He went to the GNCC. He went to the Ricky Carmichael Amateur Supercross. He went to the Baker's Factory where Ryan Dungey, Jason Anderson, and Marvin Muskin train. He is Florida. He is the voice of American motocross. The Weege, Jason Wygant. What's up, man? Yeah. You you said, uh, you said are we going to do a pod? I said, I don't know. And you said, I got something to say. So we, we fired the machine up. We fired everything up. Um, yeah, I don't know how much I don't know how much time I'll have to spare here, but let's be honest. You've done your Florida weeks before. Sometimes it's around Daytona. You've gone for other reasons, you know, just to go yeah. to these training compounds. Yeah. You can't leave there without awesome stories. No, no, absolutely. No, they're great. Oh. Absolutely. It's fun. It's good oh. good bro down time. Yeah. I haven't done it for a couple of years. I need to probably do it next year, so you know, make it make it a trip again. Whether it's Chad Reed's place or, or Ryan Villapoto's or the Nest or of course the great Tim Ferry. Uh, the Baker's factory is there now. Um, and there's, I think there's another place opening up too, but, uh, we didn't do a Daytona recap. You were busy. Uh, JT had, uh, um, uh, the fly racing quad thing going on and then he was busy and you weren't around and we were trying to make it work, but quickly on the Daytona, uh, Supercross recap, uh, first of all, the track was just absolutely terrible and I wasn't there, but you called it live. You called the announcing you, you were live. How bad were you trying to spice up that racing? Uh, I almost got um, in trouble. This is my, like, I started in 2008, so this is my eighth year, I think, or that make it nine? I think uh, it's the ninth year of it now. Yeah. And uh, it's always been good, and the Daytona people are the, honestly the nicest, easiest, best people you could possibly work for. They're just unbelievable with, honestly, the low expectations of how much work they expect <laughs> you to put out. I mean, they tell you to show up for a meeting at, like, 1030 in the morning, and then they don't expect to even see you. Like, if you say, all right, I'm going to go back to the hotel, take a nap, Swim the pool, go to the beach, drink some beers. I'll be back at six thirty for opening ceremonies. Fine, cool, fine right, by them. Right. Yeah, it, it's so different than any other industry job where they just expect you to work your balls off from sun up to sundown, which yeah. is what I did from uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. <laughs> <Right>. Anyway, <laughs> um, 
I, we walked the track. You know, track walk was at normal time, 1030. Mm-hmm. Walking the track, everything seems normal. It looks like Daytona. Dirt's like Daytona. Some of the obstacles in the same place. But as we start to walk it, it's like something is amiss. What What is this F-turn? And it's so narrow. I mean, there's an F-turn. I swear the track was seven feet wide in, in, in a section, yeah. which I don't I don't know exactly what a supercross track is, but it's more than seven feet. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if I lay down my arm stretch, I could touch both tough blocks. Um <laughs> You know, and so finally, and then the first turn, they finally changed this one part. First turn, if you went straight and didn't turn, uh-huh. they literally built a wall about 18 inches high of dirt, just a, just a wall of dirt. Um, so we were all getting bad juju, bad vibes, like, what's up with this track? Right. So I finally decided to go to the guru, Chad Reed. Oh, geez. Get his opinion on this. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how'd that go? And, oh. <laughs> Not good at all. Not good at all. Yeah, not good. And remember, a wheel had not been laid down on this track yet. This was just right, all right. based on walking it. Just disgusted. He was disgusted by it. And he's like, there's no way Ricky could do this. He knows better. This had to be you know, him, someone else designing it. And it was probably J.H., his business partner, and he just signed off. Like, there's just no way. There's no way this could have been his track. And it borne itself out. Practice, you could tell there wasn't anywhere to go. Heat races and everything, there wasn't anywhere to go. The end of my long story here is, for the first time ever, I had to be slipped a note from the Daytona people saying, hey, could you try to get the crowd pumped up more when the races start? Wow. The first time. Yeah. They've yeah. ever given me feedback. Because we just weren't, I mean, what can I say? The heat races, the semis and everything, the crowd just wasn't into it because there just wasn't anything going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so me and uh, Bidus and uh, Kevin Kelly, we're the three announcers now. We worked a little bit harder to get them fired up. And then, lo and behold, that 250 main event, it was superb. And I was like uh, drinking a Red Bull and a Monster and a Rockstar all mixed in one. All of a sudden, the crowd was pumped. We were mm-hmm. pumped. And I thought of the irony of that race was good because of that track. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. It really was. Yeah. I mean, you watch it on TV. You, they just couldn't do anything with each other. No, no. And I, I thought that J-Mart was going to start getting frustrated and make a dumb move and then lose time you know, to guys behind him, maybe yeah. get past or go down. And he tried it once, um, but basically he was sitting there just being like, Mookie, get out of the way. Yeah, yeah. And talking to some people after the race, in practice, final practice, Mookie and J-Mart, they, they started together in the final practice, and they did a main event. I mean, they were – panic revving the crap out of their bikes and whipping and scrubbing. I'm like, what is the deal with these two? Uh-huh. Like, it was like two guys, like, kicking sand in each other's face. Like, I'm the man at this beach. No, I am. <laughs> I mean, I think it was, you know, it's early in the season. They're trying to establish themselves, you know, uh-huh. and I think Mookie's like, I was the fastest guy in Atlanta. Where do you see what I got? And I think J. Mark's like, I'm the outdoor guy. Where do you see what I got? I mean, they were going at it, but I swear I think Mookie was a little faster in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And when he got the lead in the main, I'm like, he's going to get away. But what a couple people told me was Mookie knew you, you just had to hug the inside. You had to ride those defensive lines. Yeah. Um, so he just went inside, 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 which was slow, but it just prevented you from getting past. It was like the entire race was – you know, riding defensively. Mm-hmm. And I think you could see the difference. Hill was, um, you know, a few seconds behind and fourth. And he was able to use a few non-insides. Yeah. Because no one was trying to pass Well, him. yeah, he he, I was going to say, he had ability that he was the last of the group. There's nobody really behind him. So he could be like, hey, screw it, I'm yeah. going to try this. Right, yeah. Exactly. So I think Mookie spent the whole race just knowing he had to block those insides and, and not able to open it up and actually go fast. Same thing with the other two. 
It was just the it, weirdest. It was it, it just all riding defensively and blocking the inside for 15 laps. Um, Justin Bogle tweeted it was the worst race design he's ever ever seen. Will Hahn was lighting it up on on Twitter. He wasn't there. Um, now I'd love to bag on Ricky. You know that. <laughs> I'd like to take the chances and and bag on Ricky for designing this track. But he knows the track has not been this bad. There has to no. be. There's reasons why it was this bad, right? You you did a little bit of digging. There's there's reasons yeah, why. Yeah, I did a little bit of digging. I, I actually happened to see Ricky and um, JH, who's kind of his right hand man, uh, on Sunday night. I happened to see them, and I was like, dude, you got to tell me what's going on here. Like, you guys are getting beat up, and I know it's not that you just literally forgot. Yeah, it's all not of a sudden. Right. Like Ricky's been designing this track since like '08 or '09 or something since he retired. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden you wouldn't be like, you know, it would be awesome S turns without berms. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so apparently it's like a perfect storm of a lot of things. They'd already lost a lane a couple years ago because the pit road, uh, the pavement pit road got widened. Mm-hmm. Um, bringing in the amateur race means they have to have a wider starting gate. You know, they, they have 30 some gates. They only use 20. But if you look on TV, there's 10 extra gates that are blocked off. Mm-hmm. Well, that center of the track is the fattest part of the infield, and it just gets wasted because it's just a start. Right. Um, you could put a few more obstacles or turns or something cool, but you can't because it just has to be a big flat start. And most importantly, for whatever reason, Daytona's um, legal staff or whatnot just decided to make some changes this year, and we can't have straightaways that are X amount long. you got to put in a chicane to slow them down. Um, and I think they moved the track further away from the, the fans that are allowed on the tarmac. Like they crunched it mm-hmm. down further into the grass, so they lost more space. So now they've lost space on one side from pit road, the other side because they have to be further from the fans. There was always a space problem there in the first place. Then they say the straightaways can't be a certain amount of length. And they also say Daytona still wants to have the longest lap time of the year. So yeah. they had like right. five parameters all at once. There was nothing they could do. Well, someone told me that Pike's bike went into the crowd. I don't remember this. Uh, that was Reed's theory. Um, that's what he said. He's like, that's who told like, me what's that. Yeah. The no whoops? Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. I'm like, what's up with the no whoops? He's like, well, Pike's bike went into the crowd and, uh, that scared him. Um, but I think it wasn't Pike, but somebody did get off track over there last okay. year. And I All think right. that scared him. Yeah. All right. So and nobody, I don't think anyone was hurt, but I mean, let's be honest. It was pretty gnarly that those fans were able to be right over there. I mean, it was insane. Um, I remember, uh, one year being in the, the mule or the rhino they have that mm-hmm, rides yeah. alongside the riders. Right. One year we were in a Yamaha rhino, and it was governed at 59 miles an hour. It goes 59. And 2012, Stu, it's raining, and he is tripling and jumping the finish line and pulling away from us. <laughs> in the rain. In the rain, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and we, we go 59, and we could not keep up. And the fans are right there. I'm like, this is this is crazy. What? what so, so, that's but, too crazy. They realized it was bad. Everyone realized it was bad, right? No one was defending it. No, I don't think anyone was defending it. So what I heard is uh, they, were, they did. You know, they always have post-race meetings, and I think that they recognize that this didn't work. So hopefully next year they come up with some sort of compromise. And what I'm hearing it might be is um, bringing in a second starting gate just for the amateurs mm-hmm. to get the start back where they want it to be. It's like the, the further off to the end or the side or away from the action you can make the start for the pros, the more other racetrack you can build in. So I right, think they're right. trying to figure out a way to, to do that. It like literally went from the, one of the best races ever to one of the worst as far as coolness, you know? 
not not you know not media access and everything. I've, I've gone on and on about how it kind of sucks to, to watch it, but as far as just yeah. the, the 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 prestige and the coolness and you're, what you're doing and under the lights and in a speedway and all that, it, it literally went from awesome to just garbage. I think the only thing that saved it was that general Daytona reputation. I mean, people have no problems taking shots at Dirtworks and Feld, right? They they love to rip the tracks. So if this were anywhere but Daytona, I think you would have seen mutiny. But I think everybody, out of respect for Daytona and the fact that it's usually cool and everything else about the event is good, Mm -hmm. I think everybody tried to hold back on their true feelings. Like, if you asked them, they would tell you, but they weren't going off. I think they would would on a... Dirtworks. People love to beat on Dirtworks, but uh, they gave Daytona a little extra rope. Yeah, it uh, it wasn't good. Um, do you no. think? Do you think? Okay, so hopefully we see a better track next year because it was yeah. bad. Apologize for the dogs barking in the background in case you can hear them. Um, yeah. The the Tomac um, win. You talked to Bruce Sternstrom after the race. Kawasaki uh, racing manager, all racing manager. Uh, so a big big important guy at Kawasaki. Um, he had to be relieved that, that Eli Tomac pulled through because, you, I mean, we won't ha- rehash our arguments on here over and over, but um, yeah. th- they needed that. They needed this win. And Bruce seemed like he, re- he recognized that. Yeah, I think so, but it wasn't as crazy as I thought. I mean, we got great stuff from him, you know, a couple weeks earlier. You and I talked to him at Dallas, and I think you talked to him even after that. Um, but I think it just confirmed – I think they were on the fence. Like, the argument we were having, is this a problem or not? I think they couldn't decide. <laughs> and I'm sure they were getting nervous. Right. And now that they have proof that, okay, if he just gets a start, things can still work. He can still win races. I think they went back to, all right, maybe it wasn't so bad all along. Thank God. Because, um, like he said in the interview over and over, he's like, we're not celebrating this. We're kind of like, more yeah. like, finally. Yeah. And we thought this could happen any week. And honestly, the way these races have been this year, it's been hard to judge. I mean, I, I, Ken Roxon was – Ryan Dungey's generally the best guy. But two weeks ago, Ken Roxon was, and a week ago, Marvin Muscam was, and this weekend, Tomac was. They, it's so weird how it's so hard to pinpoint. I mean, we thought for sure that Kenny and Dungey were making a breakaway a few weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now it's flipped. Now Kenny's back to being mediocre. And then yeah, after last right. week, you're like, wow, look, look out for Marvin. And now you're like, look out for Eli. It's, I think it's been hard for anyone outside of Dungey's camp to figure out where they fit in. I mean, Steely's had moments. Anderson's had moments. Kennard's had moments. But it never, um, it never lasts. So I think mm-hmm. everybody is scratching their heads. They don't know if they're good or not. They can't tell. <laughs> it's too different. Week well, to week. one thing for sure, I think everyone may be in trouble come outdoors. With Tomac, with the three, because yeah, it's Daytona, yeah, it's a Supercross, but uh, it's no coincidence. If this was Toronto, you know, we'd all be like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. There is no coincidence of what happened, why he won, and, and that could propel him forward from here. Uh, being the mental mind game that that this game that this sport is, it could propel him from here. But this wouldn't have happened in Toronto. This needed to happen in Daytona for him, and now it could yeah. go further. You know, th- there was no accident. Yeah, but what, make, what makes it even harder to figure out is um, it was this perfect storm of if you had the inside gate, you had to screw up bad to not get the start. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Tomac, <laughs> the starts have never been that good, really ever. 
Uh, and then lo and behold, he gets the lead in the heat and the main because he was the fastest guy in qualifying. Well, so he he, well yeah, he, exactly. He gets first pick in the heat because right. he was fast in qualifying, right? Yeah. So then he got a better start than Dungey there, and he got a better start than Dungey in the main. He beat him both times. So he got – I hate to use the word lucky. I'm not saying he was lucky. He earned it. But I think he lucked out that at Daytona, where he has this speed and has this edge, he had a start situation that guaranteed he wasn't going to blow it by starting ninth. Right. If he had started ninth, yeah. like he's done a lot this year, it wouldn't have mattered. It was over. But luckily yeah. this yeah. – not only was the track hard to pass on, but it had the most unfair start we've seen. Right. Like, oh, it was absolutely just uh, a shit show. It was a tire fire of a track and a, and a, and a start and everything. Yeah. yeah. He did. Um, I didn't even get to see it almost from my perspective. At one point, like, out of the first turn, Dungey actually edged ahead, and I guess he got him back. He did, yeah. Dungey had so, him. At, no, Dungey was ahead of him, straight up, not just edged ahead. Yeah, he was a bike length ahead of him. And right, right so at the start. Right. I guess you credit him there. He he passed Dungey back. I mean, this all happened within 28 seconds or something. Right. But he, I guess that right there earned it. Like, if he started behind Dungey, I don't know where he would have passed him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. I, and full props to Dungey. He kept the gap within a second, second and a half the entire time. I'm sure you, Bidas, and Kevin Kelly were trying to make it happen and build excitement. So. Um, I got a complaint well, about that, that got, 250 main. Like I'm saying, it yeah. really wasn't that hard. We were fired up. I, I mean, a, that 250 main, love the track or not, it was awesome. I actually got a tweet or something complaining about your announcing. Maybe not you, but one of you three. And I wish I could oh, remember yeah? what it was. Yeah, they were saying that you guys were saying um, you were hyping up uh, Tomac as far as beating Dungey, I think, and saying like. Can you believe he's beating him? Oh, my. and and this guy was like, "Well, yeah, he's Eli Tomac. You know, whatever. It was something dumb, yeah. but yeah, um, yeah. He, he never went on that one. He never right. went on that one. It was somebody yeah. who was trying. To, you yeah. guys were trying to make make the crowd into a battle, you know, and that's part of being a live announcer. So, um, yeah. Okay. I mean, I think we did. I, I'm sure at some point I did say. You know, when you're, say, um, running off the names of, you know, who's in the main event, you kind of give a credential for everybody. Like for yeah. Marvin, he's won it on a 250 twice, and Kennard's won it on a 250 before, and Reed and Stewart have won it before, and Dungey won last year and is a champ. And then with Tomac, it's like, but they raced in a heat race, and Tomac was faster. Right. So you just try to build up this, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, Dungey's the man, but we might have a challenger. So, um, yeah, that's... That's life as an announcer. Mm-hmm. You're trying to get the crowd pumped. So I'm sure Dunge is going to be. I'm sure Dunge is okay. Yeah, I'm sure he's going to be all right. Yeah, I think he's fine. Um, <laughs> so, do you think? I wrote this. I said it on Pulp Show. Do you think this is a Barsha-like turnaround? Barsha Outdoors last year, like turnaround for Tomac from here on out. And when I say turnaround, I don't mean beating Dungey every week and. And that kind of thing, but does does this win? Do you think when we get back to traditional supercrosses, do you think it turns Eli into a podium guy? Because let's face it, he's only had one, and he most weekends he's not even in the running for a podium spot. Do you think this turns him into a regular podium guy with a few more wins? It should, but <laughs> but here's the difference between Barsha uh, last year and Tomac this year. Uh, in baseball, they say momentum is only good as good as tomorrow's starting pitcher mm-hmm. well in supercross momentum is only as good as your next start and with barsha he's always been a good starter and it was like once he got his starts back you knew he was going to continue and i mean what did he get like 11 whole shots in a row or something so barsha you're like okay he's got his head back in the game and he's going to whole shot every moto so he's gonna podium but 
I don't know. What if Eli starts eighth in Toronto? Um, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing that's happened to Roxon, right? He got his starts figured out. Yep. Now it starts suck again, and he's right back where he was. So I can't, I can't guarantee it just because of the starts. But at least with Barsha, you knew when Barsha's on, he's going to get whole shots. Mm-hmm. I have no idea with Tomac. Well, last year Tomac I felt was better, and he had absolutely horrendous gear, A star gear. This year I like his gear. I like his gear. I think it looks good. It complements his his bike. May I suggest that Eli Tomac go back to the god awful Alpine Star gear? I mean, so far there's no doubt he was he was better last year, and I know it's apples to apples somewhat because um, there's fewer guys hurt right now. It's a little bit deeper, yeah. and it's right. early it in the season. Yeah. No, but, it is not early. Stop that. It's not early. We're we're nine rounds in. Well, we are, but I think if you look at, you know, what everyone's basing Tomac on is that ridiculousness of the first five motos outdoors, and we haven't gotten there yet. I don't think anyone is seeing it completely realistic for in the first nine races last year. Everyone remembers what he did outdoors, and it's like until he does that again, he, that's what that's the ghost he's, he's chasing. Yeah, um, if you look at some of those great Supercross rides, they did come when the field was thinned out. Yeah, he had one awesome race in Phoenix last year where he and Kenny ran away right. from everybody. And then it was a weird, kind of like this. Like, maybe he was a little better, but it was yeah. kind of a weird struggle for, for a while. And then he got it together. Uh, like I, I, The problem to me is, this is what's tough. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he left because he was just struggling with that bike. He just couldn't get the Honda consistently the way he wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he made the decision to leave. And then, obviously, at some point... You cannot argue with the way that motorcycle performed by by May in the national. It's, it was about as well as we've ever seen anyone ride. So this is a tough sh- shades of know, shades of Kenny Rock upgrade. Yeah, shades of Kenny Roxon leaving KTM with the new bike. And they were you like, know, I never thought about that. And way. they were like, Hey, true. I don't like this bike. I mean, he specifically told me at Red Butt after he had won how shitty the yeah. KTM was, and I'm like, Stop it. Stop it. And then the new bike came yeah. out, and, and, you know, we've seen what that thing's done, and, and apparently he was not even allowed to ride it. He asked, and they were like, no, we're, we're good. We're, you're leaving. So No, you're right. Yeah. And that 1-1 at Redbud on a KTM, that's still the best he's ever ridden outdoors. He was never better on the Suzuki, even though he left the Suzuki because it was a better bike. But he never rode that good again. No, and yeah. so far, yeah. Tomac yeah. left because he wanted the Cowie, but he has not been better than he was on the Honda yet. Right, right. Um, yeah. yeah, should be interesting to see what happens. Um, okay, let's let's move on uh, from Daytona and the Supercross. Let's, but let's stay in Daytona. The RC Amateur Supercross thing. It's. Um, I'm not really a fan, although I know MX Sports puts it on and they own Racer X and they own where this podcast is going on. I'm not really a fan of adding more amateur races at all. I don't think we need these amateur races as much as we do, but there's no denying that this race is growing in massive stature. A lot of the stars are there. The contingency is there now. And um, it's a real big event, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think the only thing against it is it's true. It did add a race to the amateur calendar, to which I say, what the hell took so long? Like, this is the biggest no-brainer in the history of no-brainers. I, I mean, heck, they used to even have this. They, didn't they have amateur racing at Daytona? I didn't I know, know that, but, but Jeff Stanton told me, just told me that last week. I had no idea. He, yeah, they did. Yeah, like way back. I'm talking like late 80s or, yeah. or mid-80s. Like it's been a huge gap. Mm-hmm. But you get all these amateur races. Everyone's trying to figure out what's important. You stick one 
right after a Supercross in the same week where the whole industry is there. I mean, the whole industry. Like, every boss comes to Daytona because there's every kind of racing and every kind of everything. And it's an excuse to go to Florida in March. Everybody's there. And how much money does it take to build this track? It's already there. And it's you can't do this at a regular Supercross because, I mean, let's be honest, regular Supercross tracks don't lend themselves to 50s and 65s and 85s. You do a few nips and tucks to Daytona, and you basically got a local motocross track. It's not super gnarly and scary. It's the biggest no-brainer ever. So it probably should have started 20 years ago, and then we wouldn't say that they mm-hmm. are adding another race to the calendar. Everything else about it is a no-brainer. The only problem is to stick with the Supercross traditions of having heat races in a main, um, they want to make it Supercross-like. So, unfortunately, to me, the amateur racing was just like what we saw on Saturday night. It very often came out of the start. wasn't a lot of place to pass. Mm-hmm. The motos are pretty short. It's just one, you know, one main event that accounts. I mean, that makes it a carbon copy of the and, Daytona and, Supercross, and that's the goal. And the mains are four laps? Week- what are the mains? Four laps? Six laps? No, they were longer. I think they're, uh, I think they were seven or eight. I mean, they okay. were a decent amount of time. But it's certainly not like uh, going to Loretta's where you got these 20-minute motos. Right. Um, you know, uh, in this case, Forkner didn't get good starts, and that made his life miserable because, I mean, again, you saw how hard it was to pass on the track. But Did he win? You can't say it wasn't. Ex- yeah, he eventually got through and got mm-hmm. the wins in the mains. Mm-hmm. In okay. the heat races, he was getting beat. Yep. Um, but anyway, you can't say that him not getting the whole shot and then having tough times making passes. Well, it certainly was similar to Saturday. So, mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's similar you, to the pro race. If you guys wanted the Supercross experience, here you go. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I think it is. I mean, all day Sunday is qualifying in heat races, mm-hmm. and the heat races are just heat races. They're just for gate pick. But that is how Supercross works. I mean, yep. if anybody, if an alien parachuted down and came to a Supercross, he'd be like, what's this heat race for? And you'd say, pretty much nothing. And they'd be like, what? Yeah, what? yeah. Huh. Uh, it's for the gate pick, but um, 90% of the Supercross tracks, you know, it's not like pole position even matters, so the gate pick's not even that important. Mm-hmm. Wait, that's all? <laughs> well, that's, that's how it works here. Right. It's, um, it's the way it's supposed to be. And you announced all day on Sunday after a late night on Saturday? I got it started in the morning, and then uh, David Iser took us to the afternoon so I could go over to the GNCC, and then I did announce all the main events on, uh, on Monday. The event's awesome. I mean, it, it's it's such a... I mean, again, we've talked about this Florida atmosphere. Daytona's cool. The weather's cool. Being in Florida's cool. Mm-hmm. you got all the team managers and all the team people there giving support. You know, Mitch and Bones are there. And, uh, and you're just not getting that opportunity at many other amateur events. And you're getting to race in Daytona. I mean, people are pitting out of the NASCAR garages. It's so cool in so many ways. Um, so I'm not putting the event down. But... I'm still trying to figure out if it's proving things or not. I, I will say most it's of not proven. It's not proving anything. Through. Come on, huh? it's not proving anything. It's it's seven laps on a one minute track, and you're you know, I mean, yeah. That's know. what I'm trying to figure out. Although right. I will say that a couple of years ago, R.J. Hampshire was like doing really well and beating Thomas Covington, and they're like, no way, there's no way he's better than Thomas Covington. This can't be, <laughs> and it actually turned out so. Right, um, right. Here's our here's our here's our gauge. Here's our gauge. Are you ready? Yeah. Here's our new yardstick to okay. figure out this event matters. All right. There's a new amateur team coming to an amateur national near you. Get on board. Really? It's the Who? Smart Top Moto Concepts Team Alessi. 
We're back. The am- We're back. They're in the amateurs. They're reaching out. They're- How good is this? How good I, is I this? I saw a photo of guys in some gear, and I'm like, hey. Look at that! Yeah, and I checked. I clicked on the. Graphic. I clicked on the profile of the guy, and uh, I forget who his name was, and I apologize. And well, maybe I'm not because I'm blowing him out right now. But um, he had said, "Thanks for all the gear, Alias. This is incredible. Thank you." Uh, two weeks before, he was now in the Moto Concepts gear. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> he was very stoked on his Alias, and I guess for a couple of weeks until the Moto for Concepts deal. Then. Came along. Moto Concepts gear showed up. Yeah. Who makes the Moto Concepts gear? Do we even know? No, I have no idea. I don't know. All right. Um, maybe it's Michael Lee. Yeah. Yeah. No. Maybe. Maybe it is. I have no idea. Uh, so okay. So they have an amateur team. So Tony's guiding it also, or? Yeah. So what happened was, uh, well, they had three or four riders. I don't know where the other ones came from, but okay. the, the highest profile one is uh, this kid um, uh, McCommons, who. Um, he rode at Club MX or rides at Club MX, and that's where Mike's been riding a lot. And Mike's like, man, this kid's really good. And then Mike mentioned it to his dad. Then Tony came up and watched him, and they were impressed. And they said, we'll help you out at this Daytona event. Uh, he had, had some gear, had some graphics. Uh, Mike looking like a Navy SEAL over there in his tank top on the side of the track watching him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was good. Like, he beat Forkner in the heat race, and he whole shot Forkner every time. Okay. Of course, yeah, yeah, Forkner, yeah. <laughs> Forkner had to pull out every trick in the book to finally get him. And one time he passed him, and Tony just says, if you're going to pass a guy with a pass like that, you've earned it. Like, I mean, he was, like, scrubbing upside down, like, underneath him. It was ridiculous. Right. Uh, it was kind of like in basketball, like, the defense did all they could, and the guy still made the shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, this kid gave Forkner everything he had. He did a really good job. And uh, Tony's hoping to, that Genova will open up the purse so they can go to Loretta's, bring the semi to Loretta's try to bring this kid to the promised land and maybe take him up to the pros. And the best part about it is you now get Mike and Tony Alessi back on their Loretta's game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't root for this enough. No. Yeah, it's, right. there, there will be controversy. Just like Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. there will be blood. There will be controversy. <laughs> well, they can't help themselves. So I say to Mike, I'm like, so this, you knew this guy? He's like, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I saw him at Club Mexico. He was a good rider. And then I started pushing him in the motos, and I started pushing him. And, you know, I start 20 seconds behind him. I'd eat him up. I'd reel him in. I mean, I'd reel him in <laughs> from 20 seconds behind. That's what I'm pushing him like that. Right. I, that's what took him to this level. Like, I don't want to take all the credit, but I'm saying, like, me pushing him and catching him from 20 seconds behind, that really pushed him to another level. So he got all the classic cockiness <laughs> in there. And then I see Tony. I'm talking to Tony about it later. And I'm like, come on, man, you got to come to Loretta's. I'm like, I'm sure you have a hell of a notebook. I'm sure you have a hell of a notebook. And he just interrupts me and goes, you don't win 11 titles at Loretta's without having a notebook. <laughs> mic drop, mic drop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm so pumped. But anyway, my point is this kid who I'd never even heard of mm-hmm. really battled Forkner Hart. So we're going to see in a year or so, <laughs> will he be no. good or is it just this weirdo track race? Yes, no? yes. He will not be good. Uh, "Quote unquote," he will not. It, it is a weirdo track race with short laps, and, and and that's why he was able to beat Austin Forkner. <laughs> I love this. I so, love what. It's more contrarian as the years go by. You don't even. <laughs> you just drop the mic yourself. I've seen the track. I watched helmet cam. I watched some video footage from the amateur day. It's a garbage track. It's a tire fire of a track, and I mean the guy. You know the guy did well. Let's give him full props. But let's see in August in the heat at Loretta Lids. And I bet you Forkner doesn't even see this kid. 
Because if this kid is that well, good, if this kid is racing there, but yeah, is he going to go out and win? Okay, yeah, fork, right. Your fork is right there, right? Not there. If this kid was that good, he wouldn't be wearing gear that has no logos. He would be somewhere else if he was Austin Forkner Speed already. Sorry, I got the name wrong. Cameron McAdoo. Cameron McAdoo. That's the name. Sorry. It's like a bird. Cameron McAdoo. Okay. Uh, what, you, what he did not have before, he did not have Mike running him down from 20 seconds behind, eating right. him up and pushing him, and he did not have Tony's notebook. Okay. You got me on that. You're right. You got me on that. Um, all right, let's take this. Let's he take has this. the Navy Steel in his, in his corner. Okay, calm down. Uh, let's take this commercial break here. Uh, we'll come back and talk about Baker's Factory and the GNCC with Jason Wygant. Listen to this uh, Race Tech commercial. Save yourself money at Race Tech uh, using the code PulpMX16 and Michelin Starcross 5, brand new tire up by Michelin. And uh, it's really good. So uh, listen, to this star, listen to this commercial, and we'll be right back with uh, more Jason Wygant. Hey, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Racetech people, Racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over 30 years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension to everyday racer. There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with Racetech. Trust me on this. There's more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to, uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you, Eh, probably 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something something uh, on your bike needs attention for Racetech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using uh, Racetech, Privateer Proven. They work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay. And uh, they offer a full line of Racetech high-performance springs. These springs are called high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10%? At uh, Racetech, go to PulpMX2015 when you order. You can save 10% at Racetech.com, and they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right, back to the show. Michelin tires are back, people. MichelinMotorcycle.com. Michelin Starcross 5, brand new, available in hard, medium, soft, and sand. Uh, their off-road tires are some of the best ones out there, and they've revamped this whole lineup. There's no one who knows these tires better than our own, Chris Kiefer. When they're calling it comfort casing technology, what are they talking about? Is this a fancy marketing term or what? No, it's actually the carcass of the tire itself, so how much it flexes or how you know sidewall stiffness that you have when you come into corners. And what's cool about this tire is even from the previous version, on the MH3, it gives more. So when you hit square edge or you're coming out of a corner with some bumps, it has some give to it. It's more comfort, so it doesn't feel so rigid. A lot of that has to do with the, the CCT. So you're telling me the comfort casing at the end of the day, maybe it helps you a little bit to have some suspension and tires. Yeah, obviously it's flexing a little bit, but also, too, when you come into corners, you don't want it to roll on you. So they've got that dialed in to where you come into a corner and you still have enough stiffness where it grabs and bites, but yet straight line, you have comfort. Hey, as a former factory mechanic, Kiefer, I know all about mounting tires, um, so no problem for me to mount anything. Right. Well, maybe not a moose. Uh, you found mounting these new Michelin's uh, pretty easy, actually. Yeah, I'm a great test rider, but my mechanic skills are novice at best, so mounting the tire wasn't too bad. They sent me a bunch of tires to mount before testing, and I was out there busting in the garage, and normally you got to put some tires in the sun, let them soften up a little bit, but this, 
Um, the bead rolls on really nice. I didn't have to struggle. No curse words were, were sworn in the garage. So uh, it was a lot better for me, you know, putting these on. Four versions of this tire. They cover all the uses, Kiefer. Reduced weight, comfort casing technology, mounting traction handling. They do it all. Starcross 5, MichelinMotorcycle.com. Thank those guys. Check them out, the local dealer people. These guys know tires and they know what they're doing. And we're back. Jason Wygan on the Racer X podcast presented by Fox Racing, foxed.com. So, you on Sunday, you were there for half a day and then you headed to the GNCC. That. Now, Caleb Russell, three titles in a row and pretty much unstoppable. Coming off a knee surgery, he gets third at the opener. Josh Strang wins. But did Russell get beat or is he as good as ever? Did this surgery weaken him? Or was this just a, ah, shit happens thing, kind of loss? Uh, yeah, I think it's in the latter. I think it's a, he had a crappy day loss. Uh, and it probably was a little harder for him to, to make up for that because he's a little bit behind schedule with the knee. But I don't think at any point it's like you can just say that the streak is over here. I mean, he's going to have to beat him a couple more times to prove that. But he did have a million things go wrong. But I have to say, he brought a lot of it on himself. He, he and Sipes collided in the first turn. Mm-hmm. I think he was super pissed about that. But in GNCC, you can come from last to first. You yeah. got three hours. Right. Then he comes to the pits, like at the end of the first lap. And then this other guy, Thad Duvall, are literally flipping each other off and screaming <laughs> at each other while racing. Um, okay. And he was like, then he was just not moving up. Like, you're just waiting for it. Like, when's the charge coming? And he's like 11th, and he's way behind, and it's four and a half minutes behind, and he's not gaining. It's like, what's the deal? And then finally, like the last lap, or last two laps, he just went ape shit and just <laughs> passed everybody and got up to third and almost got second. And uh-huh. it's like, where the hell was that? So I asked the team manager, uh, Auntie from KTM, and he's like, yeah, he was just so mad. He wasn't even thinking about racing. He was so mad about the first turn, so mad about this Thad Duvall right. takeout deal. Yeah. Um, and then in the podium, he's like, uh, yeah, Thad and I got into it, but uh, you can see who's up on the podium here, so you know how that ended. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. yeah. Just a lot of heat, a lot of attitude, and it, it appears from what I hear from the team manager, like this is something they know. Like, they, they stopped. When, they came, when he had his pit stop, they were telling him, like, he just got to calm down. Like, essentially, he's his own worst enemy. If he If he doesn't lose yeah. his head or get hurt or something. Right. The damage he did in that last lap was good. But Strang's always there. He, he'll be the one to pick it up. Yeah. Exactly well, like he did. If there's any opening, he will be the one to take it. Caleb's got to be careful to stay away from Cooper Webb disease and other guys that it has happened to where you are really good and you know it and you feel like no one should race with you. And, you know, you are really good. So... You guys. I never thought of it that way, but it actually was a similar. Yeah, no, no. It was similar yeah. to some of the stuff we've seen from Cooper Webb. Yeah, this year. I've it seen it. With, you see it with younger guys. You see it with dudes over the years. You know that are kind of like Barsha. I don't belong. Uh, you yeah. guys don't belong with me. I'm better than you. And stay out of my way. Don't touch me. And <clears throat> so on and so forth. Um, was it a? Is this in the same spot it always has been in the last four or five years, or is it a new spot? Uh, I think it was just last year. Oh, okay. Uh, we were back. We're on, they actually raced on this property like 10 years ago, but this track is the same okay. one as, I think, just last year so for the it's, first time. Okay, so, but yeah. it's, it's sandy, tree roots, that kind of, that kind of stuff. Like, oh, like, yeah. like vastly sand, different, yeah, vastly different from every other GNCC, basically. Yeah, and yeah. he's kind of blown it at the Florida race. He, he won it last year, but every other year has been right. actually way worse than this. Oh, okay. So, no, 
there's no reason to be panicked or alarmed, but it's a great point you make mm-hmm. uh, about the Cooper Webb thing. I mean, is Webb still the best guy yes. in the 250 West? Yeah. Yeah. But, man, he's going to have to squeak this title out. Like, it wasn't as easy as it should have been. No. Um, who got second? I missed that. Oh, so there's this Australian guy um, that's on the Randy Hawkins is uh, NFAB. NFAB yes. and Pro Yamaha team. Mm-hmm. You like that? Yeah, nice, nice one. Uh, he's a diabetic, and he basically could not even do the three hours last year. Like, he had to pull over and, like, take an insulin shot and he, wait 15 minutes for it to kick in. That's not good. No, no that's um, not like good. Every race last year. But luckily, he had a two year deal, and he went to some doctors to figure out how he could get enough sugar in his system to ride for three hours, and they literally told me he has high C in his camelback, and they hand him a water bottle with Coke in it, like, two hours into the race. Wow. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And he's even got this thing, he's got this, like, device hooked to his stomach, and then he's got, like, an iPhone on his handlebars that give him his blood sugar readings that he can check out while he's racing to figure out yeah, if yeah. he needs to drink or, or what. But anyway, it worked. He, he got yeah, second. Right, he rode awesome, him. so... And how yeah, did it, uh, and he and Strang actually live together, and oh. they're both Aussies, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, Strang's yeah. a cool dude. Strang's a really good dude. Um, yeah. How did Sipes do? I feel bad for Strang oh. a little bit because to interrupt. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ryan Sipes is the one that gets all the hype in this series because mm-hmm. we all know him. Right. He's a motocross guy. I just asked you. Won the right. Yeah. Right. Sipes is the one that gets all the hype, but Strang, if, if Russell doesn't win, Strang's the second best guy. Right. Um, so I almost feel bad. He gets a little bit overshadowed, I think, by Sipes sometimes. Uh, and how did Sipes do? Uh, he was right in that battle when Russell was going nuts in the last lap. I think he ended up – I can't even remember. Okay. I think he ended up fifth. Uh, there was like three or four of them going at it for second, third, fourth, fifth. But he got a little tired and at the end. Sipes doesn't go down to Florida and, and ride during the, the cold months. He just stays in Kentucky, and it usually takes him a few races to, to get going. But, yeah. Makes himself part, like a makes himself like a he, raccoon hat. Makes himself like a raccoon hat and a corn cob pipe in the winter and comes down. It is kind of like that, but he says the reason he stopped racing Supercross was because he didn't want to leave the family and go to California every winter. So this is what he, you know, this was the point of doing this right. that he didn't have to leave home all winter. So he, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Sipes looks like the Leo in the Revenant, just fur coats and fur hats and yeah yeah um yeah academy award winning you performance you are leaving out the early leader of the race a man who was in third forever until the last lap privateer doing it with his dad and his brother running his pit crew just you know salty salty tyler medaglia Canadian hero. Canada's own. Yeah, Canada's yep. own. Tyler yep. Medaglia. Um, he has a bit of a – he's been sniffing around. He's obviously a pro Canadian pro uh, Canadian pro motocrosser, and he's very good at that. He's got some leads for a ride to do the complete GNCC series. He's He'll do it. You know, he'll be there this weekend again. I think he'll be doing the first two or three rounds, and uh, he's pretty good at it. He's turned out to be pretty good. So – should be interesting to see if, when he yeah. makes that switch. I think he will. I think he will make a switch on some team at some point. And, uh, yeah, so he's all right. Uh, yeah, he did. He did. He wrote awesome. He was good there last year. And then it was like you could tell now he's got a little more experience. Yeah. And at one point, I'm like, I think he's going to get third. Yeah. Um, so did he. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was in third, like you said, for a long time. But I think what happens in the end is um, the three-hour thing is just a certain strategy to it. And – just when you think you're like, yep, it's all settled in, you realize that the, half of those dudes are just waiting 
to the last hour to really, you know, drop the hammer and then it starts getting crazy. I mean, the race was two hours of follow the leader, kind of boring, and then one hour of absolute madness. Uh, and he got kind of swallowed up in that. But it happens to those dudes that don't race it every week all the time. They just need to learn when to go and when to when, save some energy. When do when do you and Barry Karsten cross paths in this? Yeah, so I go to uh, you know back to Daytona Sunday night. Okay, right. Announce all day. Announce all day Monday night. But uh, to Monday night. But the real goal was to get back to my hotel before seven p.m. <laughs> because. They have the manager's social hour mm-hmm. where they have free light food and free beer. So I had, thank God we don't race past darkness. So I'm like, there's no way we can race past six o'clock. I will definitely be there by seven. <laughs> right. So I race back to the hotel, get to the manager special, get myself a free Bud Light, get myself um, some cheese and crackers and a Caesar salad for free. Uh, <laughs> right. And in comes Barry Karsten. Looking to do the same. <laughs> jean shorts? Please tell me jean shorts. Well, this is the crazy thing. He had answer gear. He had to race in answer gear. Um, because right now, MSR is in this weird transition where they're not really doing motocross stuff. Yeah. So he's had to spruce up the look a little bit. Uh, but he did have on an MSR jacket that looked like it was straight out of 92. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Um, I'm sure it was the same yeah. jacket he had on when he podiumed in... Uh... Houston or Dallas yeah. or whatever that was. Right. Right. Um, right. But and no, I said, dude, come on. You've been racing MSR for like 30 years. Surely you have enough leftover MSR gear to get you through one race in March. And he's like, no, they would. They said they could have all the gear I wanted for years, but I always said I didn't need more than two sets. So that's all I ever really asked for. <laughs> Barry, the bear dog. Um, oh, the bear dog. And so what? I had his son racing, and they just – no reason to buy extra bikes. So he and his son just swapped off and each rode a 450. They just, here, you race at this moto, I'll race at this moto. Do you think the the person at Suzuki who cuts checks just kind of oh. knows Barry's address off by heart? Just, like, oh. knows the address. Don't, doesn't have to worry about it. Just, here you go, Barry. He, he was telling all these stories and he told one, I mean, his eyes, his pupils were dilating and his eyes were lighting up. There was some glorious year in the 2000s where Suzuki did double contingency. And he was, he's like, I was going to races five hours from Englishtown. Forget Englishtown. I was getting double contingency, you know. So whatever race paid, you know, 200 more, that would be 400 more. So <laughs> whatever race in a five-hour area paid the most, that's where he was going. And this is like, I don't even think he was racing nationals at this point. It was like past his right. pro career. Right. And he says he made 56 grand in contingency oh, uh, that year. Barry. And, and those are the glory days. You know, they just put it on a Visa card. This isn't like yeah. Suzuki bucks. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah this yeah. is real yeah. money. Yeah, yeah. Real money. Um, well, in like, yeah, well, we don't have time for it. But, yeah, in Canada, Suzuki did the same thing one year. And every pro was on a Suzuki, like like Rollerball yeah. and Carl Valancourt and Daryl Martins and Bill Wallen. And everybody bought Suzukis. Everybody. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, um, well, Cowie did it in GNCC once, and everybody wrote Cowie. Yeah. The same thing. They paid like ten grand to win a race, and people were going nuts. Um, now, Barry, Barry told you a story about... Young James Stewart? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we went on for like an hour. I probably, right. as you know, I was. Uh, yeah, you're a huge Barry fan. Up to do yep, I, yep, yep. Huge Barry fan. Scared of him for most of my life because he was so amazing. And uh, so I've got a lot of catching up to do. So I started asking him, like, so did you race as an amateur? Did you race minis? Did you go to Loretta's or the, the previous things before Loretta's? And mm-hmm. that's all these stories. And he talked about trying to take trips to Florida and he could hardly do it because he always worked. Um, but he mentioned. 
that he used to come and ride with James Stewart. And I'm like, what? He's like, he's like, yeah, James couldn't ride unless his, until his dad was home from work. Um, that's that's how it worked. Mm-hmm. So he would just sit there and watch tapes all day, just stewing, wait, waiting <laughs> stewing. To, to ride. So yeah, stewing. That was I inserted that one. Right. I was on Barry's. So one year, uh, Barry shows up at like Stu's house. He said he had a single cab pickup with like him, his son, two other kids, and then they crammed James in there too, and like four bikes, <laughs> and found some like cruddy property nearby to go riding and Barry's like, all right, we got to build some jumps. And he just takes out a shovel and James had like never seen, like you don't build jumps with a shovel. Like he'd never seen this before. Yeah. <laughs> so they like Barry build, is build some, James yeah. has never seen a gritty individual like Barry, Barry Carston before. No. no, I'm just thinking of this, this combo here. Right. Well, now, hold on though. Claimed, but how did they ever yeah. meet? How did that happen? How did Barry Carston meet yeah. James Stewart? How does their – I don't even know. I believe it was – I think Barry's wife knew a guy that, like, had some property and bikes and, like, rode in Florida. So, like, everybody must have known this guy. Okay. Like, if you were coming to Florida and you were trying to find a place to practice, you had to know this guy. And, and Stewart so knew, knew this like, guy. Uh, right, and Stewart knew this guy. Uh, yeah. Okay. This is like the tie that binds. Now, the timeline gets a little fuzzy because Barry says this was right before James is ready to turn pro. Now, I feel like at that point, James is already pretty well established. And I, I just I find it hard to believe that he was this getting is, picked up by Barry Carson to go ride in the field with shovel jumps. It just He's, it just, he's a 15-time Loretta Lynn champion, the top team green guy. Everybody's waiting ever. for James Stewart. He's in Fox, yes. he's in Fox videos. Um, we're all waiting for James Stewart. The most hyped ever, 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 ever. Right? But Barry, the most hyped fifteen-year-old amateur there will ever be. But Barry swears this, this is this is oh one two thousand, whatever somewhere on there. Yeah. And then my favorite part, and this one, it's like a shootout now. Did the Tony Alessi or Mike Alessi things were they the best things I heard all week, or was this the best I heard all week? <laughs> what? What was Barry it? Said, he's like. Yeah, me and Mike could go ride. We rode all week. We rode for, you know, Monday Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday. And he, he was amazed at how fast I was. James was amazed at how fast Barry was. Yes. <laughs> but, I don't know. Maybe it means relative. Like, maybe James was faster, but he was impressed that Barry was, like, close. He didn't say he was faster, but he said James was amazed at how fast he was. This would have been 98, 99, 2000, we think. And Barry... Before he was ready to turn pro, so this would have been two thousand one ish. Okay, so I was giving Barry, a, I was giving Barry a bit of a grace period. I was being nice with Barry, saying, "Oh right, right." Barry by ninety nine, Barry was well done his speed years. How dare you? How dare <laughs> I'm you? I'm sorry. That? I'm sorry. I apologize. He's still not done. Um, how dare you? I just how do, how fast? I feel like James on a super mini. In 01, 00, would have worked Barry. No? No? I, am I wrong? I, I, I mean, I, I, I was amazed, too, when I heard this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, James Stewart. Yeah. Here's the thing about Barry. Like, people have respect for Barry for, like, finding the contingency and making it happen. Yeah. And, you know. Being the gritty guy who worked a regular job and had a wife and kids and made it happen. But I've never heard it amazed by the speed. <laughs> no, 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 never, never. 
Um, no. And well, it's the guy that it's coming from is James Stewart. Yeah, like, did you, was it, did you find out if it was um, just another guy named James Stewart? Did he qualify that it was, like, the black guy that's James, named James Stewart? Maybe there's, maybe he's getting, maybe there's a guy named James. It was actually just some regular, it's a, regular local guy. Yeah, it's a guy from Jersey named James Stewart, and he rides. I don't, I don't know. Fairly common name. But he, well, I was trying to figure out some math, too. I'm like, okay, well, wait. I, I don't know whatever exact year this was, 2000 or 2000. Is it possible? As you're sipping, hey, uh, wait, wait. As you're sipping on your free Bud Light and, and oh, yeah. eating manager special oh, with Barry, right? Cheese and crackers. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Barry's son eventually came down, and I think he could not have rolled his eyes and been more disgusted by the two of us. <laughs> like, these stories of just old guys talking Stark. about being cheap and. Right, English like, town, and yeah. Like the kid's 17. He's like, these two dorks. Right. I want to go downtown and go to the beach and pick up some chicks. Stop right. talking about motocross. <laughs> these two dorks. Um, the poor guy. So, I, I, so what I was, okay, so maybe, maybe if you're like in the A class and have maybe one amateur year left, maybe it's a year before he turns pro. Maybe Barry, was Barry still maybe getting points? Was he still top twenty guy outdoors? So is that a match? Maybe I actually, I actually have the vault open here because I was uh, arguing with Ping earlier on Twitter. Um, so I was counting Zach Osborne's races. But let's just quickly pull this up. I still want to talk to you about the Baker's Factory, so we don't want to make this too long. But um, yeah. let's see here. But uh, this is mind blowing. There's no doubt it has to be treated as such. <laughs> okay, so Barry Barry's got a long vault. Uh, open uh, long vault oh, career. God. Um, oh, yeah. If you go back to Jesus, Barry was making supercross mains in 02. Barry got 14th in 01 at Redbud. So, so that's what I'm saying. Like, maybe okay, so in nine, you're good enough, be, yeah, right. If you're a guy that can get 14th at a national, I mean, okay, he got 14th one. So basically, you could say he's got to have top 20 ish level in general. Yeah, in general. So maybe so. Maybe a top 20 guy matches up to someone in the A class at Loretta's. That's probably somewhat of a match. <laughs> Barry's first race was 86. So <laughs> this, is, this is 14 years. 85. 14 years later. Barry is top twenty, still, just chugging along. God, I please, I would not want anyone to think that in this conversation we mean to disrespect Barry Carson. Like he's my all-time hero, and that the, what you just named alone is is worth kudos. Like I said, I don't think ever heralded for his speed. No, but no. The fact that he managed to keep this thing going. Do you think eighty six? Do you think? Do you think Stu was with Barry, and and he's like. Well, at least I'm top 15. Like, I got this guy covered, and he gets 15. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to get points at a national. I, you know, hey, wait, I got – Barry kept it going longer. I remember his national number streak, which I think was only broken by Dowd. His national number streak only ended because unfairly in 04, he had to race a Suzuki, of course. And he was on an RM250, <laughs> and there was just no way he could get it done against 38 privateers on um, Honda 450s. That was pretty much the gate in the 04. Yeah. You remember well. I'm sure yeah, you were there. How yeah. many dudes are on Honda 450s? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everybody. Um, you had your guys on Team Yamaha and then everybody else on, <laughs> on um, the 450. 
You can see Barry, yeah. Barry's results go from teen results to the 20s in 04. Barry, that's why. Yep, yep. Barry's results in 04. You can when you're scrolling through, yeah. um, you yeah. know, a 27 inch IMAX screen worth of results over and down, over and over and over and over and over. His results yeah. in 04. Barry's slippage began in 04. But guess what? When he finally got on an RMZ 450, he got a national number one last time. He yes. did, He got back in it. I yeah. don't know if that's 05 or 06, but he. The streak was interrupted with the two-stroke, and when he finally Suzuki came out with a four-stroke, he so the streak should have kept going. This is a travesty. How many parts does Barry have in his garage of RM parts? Like, do you think on right now, like on his 2016 RMZ, he can go back <laughs> into his garage and be like, "Here's a '98 axle nut. I bet you this works." <laughs> Good God! Uh, you know they've probably gone through too many employees for anyone to have kept this straight. But I mean, would you love to know the career contingency number? Can you imagine? Oh, I can't. I can't. It's not possible. Pat Alexander, could we could we corner Pat Alexander? Could he find out for us? I've been talking to Pat quite a bit lately. Maybe I need to make this his project. This is what we want to know. He's got nothing but time on his hands right now with Stu and Baggett. He's good. He's got nothing but time on his hands. He can add up this. Um, well, maybe Stu needs to hook back up with Barry. Maybe that's what he needs. Go back to the roots. <laughs> like Rocky. Like when Apollo... Came and got Rocky after Mr. T beat him down. That's what he's that <laughs> turned this full story. Stu goes back to Florida. Stu goes to, with the to the field with Barry. Barry goes, All right, kid. All right, kid. You gotta, you, you, we gotta get back to where you were. We're gonna get you back. You've lost your way. Too much money, too much entourages. Um, remember when, when you and I hooked up? Yep, I can see it now. Now, Barry, Barry taught James out of the, like. I, we're, I think we're finding out this story could actually be true. Yeah, I, I, I think we are. Yeah, I think we are. Was like, here's some old guy. He's nobody. I'm James Stewart. I'm going to blow this dude's doors off. But Barry was still good enough to get top fifteen in national. They were probably fairly close. Like I said, Barry didn't say he was faster. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Barry's but not James claiming, right? Yeah, ma- right. Right. So it probably was like that, where James was like, what the hell? Why am I not just completely destroying this old dude? And he said, James actually like asked him, like, what's the deal? <laughs> and Barry said, someday you're going to go out to California and you're going to get the bike, and then you'll know the difference. So, and then uh, Barry said that he, you know, then he signed for Factory Cali, he went to California for a few months, and then Barry went to one of the Anaheims or something, and James saw him in the pits and said, now I got the bike. So, oh my God! It goes even better. It, it goes even better. Like they saw each other in the pits. Yeah, and Barry knows this guy and recognizes him. I don't think James <laughs> even recognizes me. Never mind Barry. Like they've got something together. I would have. I would have never thought these two like no. roamed the same orbit. <laughs> um, because so, well, so now Barry. By the way, Barry, a huge Mookie fan because of this connection to the Stewarts. Huge pump for Mookie. Thinks he's going on to big things and, and really proud of him. Who knew? <laughs> Stu family and Barry Carson. <laughs> when, you, when you see Stu ride, I mean, you, you often think, ah, Carson. <laughs> I see a young Carson. I see a young New Jersey Barry Carson. <laughs> right? I mean, we all see it. We all see no, it. No, dude, like, 
It's like when Reed came over and he said he grew up watching McGrath, and you could see the McGrath style in Reed. It's very similar to that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. All those tapes. You know, Steve was always known for watching hours and hours of tape. Yeah. That's probably who he picked <laughs> to focus on. Oh. That's that's a better story than the, than the, than the Motor Concept Amateur Team. That's a better oh, story. Yeah. It's better. James Stewart was amazed at his speed. <laughs> but, but then, like, the joke's on us because we're laughing at Barry, but then we check his results and, like, this could be totally legit. Like, it is, though. Like, Barry was still good. Barry was still making main events. Yeah, he was. He got 14th at Redbud around the same time James was racing the Red as it probably checks out. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Uh. You forget how long the dude managed to. His, he's like JT. Like, the trajectory of his career is just flat. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, the level yeah. I maintain. Right, right, right. And I will go I will, I will go this yeah. level forever. Forever. I will never slow yeah. down. I'll just keep doing oh. it. Yes. God, yeah. Barry. Why did you do a podcast with Barry? Well, Barry? Barry wouldn't be. You never did it? No, I've never talked to Barry. Not a podcast. Uh. Yeah, not a podcast. Right. I mean, this conversation was, was amazingly epic, and I have to say, like, his knowledge of who did what and what happened in the race last weekend and everything, the guy's on it. So he, um, he, he'd be surprisingly good. He told me, because he's a big Mookie fan, like I said, Yeah. Um, he thinks that Mookie partially got tired because having to hug those inside. He's like, you know how it is. You, the inside line takes so much more energy. You know, you could, you got to break harder and turn harder and accelerate harder and get in that rut and get your leg up. Like he had to do that in every turn. He's like, if he could have just used those berms, he probably wouldn't have got tired. So there's some sage advice from Barry. Jesus. It gets, it gets good. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a good story. That's a really good story. Uh, all right. One more story from you. Uh, you went to the Baker's factory on, uh, wait, Tuesday, today's Wednesday, Monday. When'd you go to the Baker's yeah. factory? Yeah. Uh, Tuesday. Racing, Yesterday. Uh, amateur race Monday. Okay. Baker's factory. Karsten, Karsten talk Monday, Monday night. I don't know if I can even go forward on this podcast. I feel like it's absolute hit its pinnacle with this Barry and James Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you probably have a point. You're right. I mean, you went to the Baker's factory and yeah, whatever yeah. You, you, you saw the world's greatest riders, but it still didn't really hold a candle to the, to the conversation you had the night before. No, this field with Barry building jumps with a shovel and, and taking a young James Stewart out. Um, yeah, the Baker's Factory, like, it's so funny. Like, these are supposed to be private compounds, right? And when the guys go to Florida, they're all pumped because of the uh, the reduced distractions. You know, they have to deal with the traffic in California, and there's a million sponsors and obligations out there. And they're supposed to be able to hide uh, when they go to Florida. But, dude. It's not like when I got to go, like I, mm-hmm. I couldn't have thanked Alden enough. I'm like, I cannot believe, like, why did he doesn't need me to come out here? They got work to do. Yeah. So I get there, and I'm assuming, like, oh man, I'm just going to stay out of the way. They're doing their deal. I get there, and there's like 15 cars in the parking lot. Yeah. What is going on? And pulling in right in front of me is Roger DeCoster. And I'm like, all right, uh, Roger, I get it. Roger and I talked a little bit. I'm like, I understand. He, he should be here. Yeah. There's like two minivans stuffed to the gills of equipment because Dungy's got a uh, 2017 Fox shoot going on. Then I go inside, and uh, Michael Prince and Dave Prater from uh, Supercross are there. I'm like, what's going on here? And then the guy from Lit Pro, which is uh, the GPS device that yep. all those guys run on their helmet, they're there to show what that thing can do. And the Supercross guys are looking to see if they can maybe use it for TV, 
you know, it tells you speed and acceleration and all these things. Um, this is all going on. And then, by the way, we're also there shooting and taking pictures. Mm-hmm. And then they still have to do their training. And then Anderson said, he's like, there's, they said last week was way worse, way more people, way more crap going on. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And they, and they were all amazed. <clears throat> like Mathilde uh, Moosecan's wife, she's like, you ever been here before? Like, they were shocked that I had never come. Like, these are supposed to, to me, be private compounds where they do their work. Yeah. But it's like the amount of visitors they expect. The fact that I had not visited was a shock to them. It's really one. It's really weird how that works. They're like, "Have you did the rides yet? Do you need a ticket for the rides?" <laughs> yeah. Um, I said that. I mean, we. I think I counted like twenty people, and I said to Alden, "I'm like, you got to start selling tickets." And then he made everybody smoothies. He made everybody smoothies, and I'm like, "Now you're even feeding us. Like, this yeah. is full on an entertainment yeah. complex." Yeah, Alden's a good guy. Yeah. There's no doubt. He's a good guy. He's pretty open and and, and all that. I mean, I've spent plenty yeah. of time at RVs, you know, with Kenny. And with Weimer, Adam, Cincerillo. Yep. And you know what? When mm-hmm. I think about it, Weege, there wasn't that many people there that you just talked about. There was always people there, though. Like the, yeah. um, the yeah. old guy down the road, um, a friend of a friend, um, the a parents, me, maybe another media. Like, there was always people there when I, when I really think about it. I wasn't just me and the riders or anything, you know? No, which is what I thought. No, that's exactly it. Dungey's grandfather was there, and then some other guy who was just, um, yeah, one of Alden's buddies that I guess Alden knew in the Carmichael days was just, like, people are just there. Yeah. I mean, it's not as private as it seems. And it also shows, by the way, as Anderson told me, he's like, yeah, everybody comes here thinking there's going to be something, like, you know, crazy or secret, but we're just going riding. And, And I would, yeah, I would say the only thing I could take from it is that it's an extremely uh, controlled in- environment. Like Anderson and Muscan did their mo- Dungey had to do all his photo shoot stuff, so his situation was a little different. Mm-hmm. But Anderson and Muscan did their motos, and they, you know, did the standard. They matched up, you know, one ahead of the other. And the lit pro guy was there tracking their heart rate and their lap times around every inch of the track. Like they had it divided into segments. Mm-hmm. Um, every and then it's like when they did their two motos and they had to do starts. Uh, and the track is just pristine, so it's just a super controlled environment. But as far as what they did, yeah, they freaking did motos and starts. Yeah, whenever uh, whenever I've been there with Alden uh, RV days, like I, I was like, hey, I, I want to get an interview with you, or let's go do shoot this film or whatever. And, and Alden, and again, I, I, I like Alden; he's a nice guy. But Alden was like, hey, no, no, mate, let's go, let's go. You got to go. We're going to the gym. We're going on a bike ride. And I'm just like, well, can yeah. I? Can I have 15 minutes here? You know, I came out here to do some media stuff, and, like, I usually got it, but the riders are like, yeah. got to go, see you tomorrow, or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you'll turn around, yep. and, and one of them will be gone, and you're like, but like, I was supposed to just do something with that guy. And, and yeah, yep. it's a very structured, very let's go problem, let's go and get going, you know? So um, They did say that, uh, you know, they <clears> – <throat> I mean, I think they would prefer to just be able to, to do their thing. Um, but – what you've experienced to go to these places before, and I've gone to a few of them too, like everybody's in a good mood. Like you could just tell the difference. Not like any of these guys are jerks on a weekend, especially right. Moose Can. Yeah. But like they're not wigged out by you hanging out there. Like everybody's talking, everybody's in a good mood, right. everybody's BSing about stuff. It's really fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. Good bro down time for sure. Um, yeah, I know those times you went to RV, like there, I'm sure there were epic conversations. Yeah, same with Chad, same way, you know. Um, yeah. And but Timmy, yeah. when I, when you go to Timmy's place, like he would do his last moto of the day, 
and you'd walk from the supercross track to the garage where the bikes are, and he'd be gone. You're like, you, you text him, where'd you go? He's like, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in the shower, or I'm getting in the shower. Like, I think he just came yeah. and put his bike, he just kept walking to the house. You know what I mean? Like, there was no, there was no, he wasn't going to hang out. He was like, I'm going to go clean up now. Like, I'm, my work is done for the day, you know? But, it's, right. yeah, it's always these right. guys. It's how they work. It's really, it's really neat to get on the inside, though, like you said. Um, maybe they need Barry. Maybe Barry to build some, build some shovel jumps. <laughs> oh, it's really cool. This Lit Pro thing. Have you heard of this? You know what that oh, is, Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. If you folks, I mean, we've <clears throat> mentioned in the magazine, uh, uh, RaceRex Virtual Trainer has done some stuff on it. If you look closely on Dungey's helmet, it's a, it's a little gray uh, box. Um, but what's awesome is, the, you know, normally <clears throat> these types of things are super top secret, like Darkfish, which is the video program where you can lay two clips over the top of each other to see who's faster where. Mm-hmm. I mean, that thing is like, how many years did it take before you're even allowed to see it? <laughs> yes. like you were not allowed yeah. to see it. Right, right, right. yep. Yeah, you and I were not allowed to see it. Um, this is something they want to sell. I think the problem with Dartfish is that it costs thousands of dollars, so they don't really—they're not really interested in standard consumers. Uh, it's basically race teams only. Um, this lip pro thing, I think, is a little more affordable, and they—I think they want people to know about it. Uh, so they're pretty open. I mean, <clears throat> the guy was adamant. He brought uh, myself and Prater and Michael Prince and Feld, and he was showing us everything. Here's the coolest part about it. He's got an iPad, and it's wired to the guy's transponders. So every lap and every segment, it's immediately telling where they are, mm-hmm. what their heart rate is. But the coolest part is Siri. Siri is telling you their lap times, and they can actually put a bug in their helmet where Siri can tell them what their lap times and what their heart rate is as they're riding. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. yeah so we're, I mean, literally, we're standing there, and it's, Siri saying 59.1 Jeez. last time. Wow. Yeah, it's Siri. it's it's, it's pretty Backing cool. It. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. So they want they want to use it on the TV shows. That's why Fell was there to try to figure out um, you know, Did, I don't think it's happening next week, yeah. but you know, somewhere down the road. Um, this Did, would be um awesome. Did Dungey call you buddy? Brother. Brother. A new one. A new one. He whipped out brother. Just dropped it. Uh huh. Yep. He had to go. He finished his photo shoot. Uh, he was done, and uh, so I just came in to say bye. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go back and watch the rest of these guys do their starts or whatever. While he was talking to the Fox guys, and then uh, he's like, oh man, thanks for coming out, brother. And I was like, we got a new one. He's like, is that immediately so where you brother rank? Is that buddy? is that immediately what you thought? You're like, oh brother. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, that's the first thing in their mind. Like, oh brother. You know who uses brother? You know. The Hulkster? The Hulkster, bro. The Hulkster. Hulkster brother. drop brother all the time. Oh, yeah, brother. <laughs> so, so for you, a wrestling yeah, fan, this is very exciting news. Very Maybe Dungey tuned it. Maybe he knew. <laughs> yeah, he, he knew that you were an amateur wrestler back in the day and that you're yeah. a big, you know, all right, brother. Appreciate that. So we're, we now know that the buddy is kind of generic. So well, yeah, because he let it. He let a direct. That was a direct message that he forgot to make a direct message, and he on Twitter and he called somebody buddy. What do you mean? Oh, you didn't see that? No, we got another buddy incident. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Dunge on Twitter, absolutely. Oh no! Absolutely, he meant it to be a direct message that he didn't. uh, You know, couldn't uh, didn't make it. 
you know, J Bone, ask anybody. We've always had we've all had issues uh with that. Yeah. Um he says, yep. Sounds good, buddy. That's all his tweet was. Sounds good, buddy. Oh. <laughs> and if you don't think if you don't think if you don't think that people were blowing me up on that, like uh, on on Twitter. <laughs> the second the tweet hit. <laughs> yeah, he meant, you know, it was addressed to nobody. It just said, sounds good. See you later, buddy. So we had another buddy sighting. Another buddy. Oh. So here's what I'm wondering. <clears throat> Is this a sign that I'm next level tight with Dunge and I upgraded from buddy to brother or – or has Dungey changed his game? Has he revised it, and now he gives everybody the brother instead of the buddy? No. I think I think brother is better than buddy. Like, you're better. You're, you're up there. You think so? Yeah, I do. But what about well, – there's only one way to find out. We've got to have a couple more conversations to other people and see – I would not rule out that he's just made a wholesale change and has just replaced Buddy with Brother all around. Do you I think rule that out because of things on Twitter? Like, is uh, people like me and uh, he follows me on Twitter, and you know, people Ooh. have attached us on Twitter about the Buddy thing and everything Ooh. else. So maybe that that's a possibility. Maybe he's just aware that he feels like Buddy has run its course. You know, yeah. I mean, at one point we were probably saying dude instead of bro. So right, right. somewhere along the way, change. Well, I don't know, but we'll find out. Let, yeah, got to. <laughs> Toronto podcast, get it. When, when when new Kyle gets called buddy, that just shoots, uh, that rocks my world to, to uh, yeah. Yeah, I was bummed because new Kyle was there, but he was out shooting pictures, so I never got, he never got to say bye to Dunge. That would have been the ultimate, t- I would have been like hiding in the trash can. <laughs> like, get Dunge to say bye. Get Dunge to say bye and see what he says. <laughs> <laughs> this could be next level stuff as we try to figure out what exactly where do we stand with this. Right, I'm telling you though, Dunge, he's so comfortable in the position he's in now. Like he could not be, he's being pulled in, in so many directions. Like the Feld guys were there, and his real goal that day was to work with Fox, right, and his 2017 gear. But he's still got to do a little bit of the, the training and riding or whatnot. Uh, but then I feel like he just knew, like, oh, I had no idea Weege and Buddy. <laughs> New Kyle, we're coming, but I got to give them a few minutes, you know, bro down a little bit. Yeah. Be cool. Um, yeah, I mean, and you've heard it before with Chad, and I'm sure the same with James. He's a McGrath back in the day. Like, it just they're just getting pulled at his level in a million directions, but he's yeah. doing a superb job but with it. The cool thing about being at those compounds is they're usually not getting pulled, they're hanging. Like, RV rubbing his hands together, just yeah. bagging on, on Weimer and Adam and everybody. That's like yeah. a natural habitat. It's like seeing a zebra in the in the plains of Africa, oh. you know? Um, yeah, yeah, that's RV style. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Did you, uh, yep. did you see the 2017 Fox gear and were not allowed to talk about it? I did, I did. Um, and it was funny because you never know how these things work. Like I said to Alden, first thing I said is, I'm like, so, so can we shoot everything or is anything in this building or any of these bikes or anything yeah. you have here top secret? And he's like, no, mate, everything's good. Yep. And then... I see all these Fox dudes, and I'm like, this doesn't seem... Oh, no, JT was actually JT in the uh, gear gossip. You know, JT's ahead on the gear gossip. Uh-huh. Remember, <clears throat> he texted us, how's that 2017 Fox gear looking? He knows. He knows. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> he knows what Fox is up to. 
And I was actually glad I heard that because it alerted me. <clears throat> I said to Dunge and a like, couple of the Fox guys, I'm like, hey, are you guys got stuff we're not supposed to see yet? And they're like, yeah, this is, this is next year's gear. <clears throat> and, um, so I'm glad I asked. And then that made me go to Marvin and Anderson and say, is anything on your bike, any logos, is your gear right? Oh, because you had uh, the, the stew incident too. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, You're learning, that right? Too. I mean, <laughs> once I had the Dunge – Dungeons and gear that can't be photographed right now. Then I was on red alert. But you're right. We did have an issue with a stew video a couple weeks ago where he had the wrong logo on his jersey. And from my perspective, like some people were thinking that's ridiculous. Um, you know, Stu should have the right logos. He did a video. He agreed to it. But I think when you show up, like I asked Alden if I could show up. I didn't talk yeah. to every person yeah. individually on the team. Yep. It's their private compound. I feel like if if we get something we're not supposed to get, it's partially in us. Like we're shooting them in a private. Yeah. They can have no logos on their bike. Why yeah. do they even need graphics? Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> so I feel like we have a somewhat of a responsibility to make sure everything's clean. This is their. This isn't a Saturday race situation, and we're lucky they even let us go. Yeah. No, you have a point. Exactly. And and you know what? And in my experience with Alden, uh, there's never been a problem shooting anything. Or anything at all, ever talking about anything, interviewing. He's always been a wide open book whenever I've shown up at any of his places. And Chad and Chad and Alden never worked together, but in my experience at Chad, everything was fine. I'm like, Chad, you have an 08 CR450 in the corner of your garage, and it's in this photo. He's like, so? You know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Chad for you. I mean, I have to say, maybe just maybe – Baker's factory, they just know this. Like, everything was painstakingly done. Like, there was a rack of Dunlop tires with Dunlop logo, and there was a case, there was a shelf, uh, basically a display, a Bell Ray oil display you'd have in a dealer right. with oil on it, and all the Bell like for Anderson's bike, because his team is sponsored by it. Like, right, right. I'm, I, I, they're probably, they probably figured this out. People are going to be here a lot. If, Make it look right. To bring this conversation right around, if you drop Barry into one of these compounds, would he even know what to do? Would he even understand what these people do, how they don't have jobs, and they just ride yeah. every day? I, I, I thought about that a lot. Um, <laughs> riding in general is so unbelievably inconvenient, um, and, and I live it all the time. I, I I've really been trying to ride more this year. I rode twice last week, mm-hmm. going out with our old buddy Shane Watts, and it is a pain in the ass right. to go riding. Right. It's super fun, and I love it, but that's the whole problem the sport's dealing with. I mean, if I want to go riding for an hour, it's a three- or four-hour process, um, and that's to ride for an hour straight. If you want to do it like more, you know, yeah, five yeah. or ten minutes, take a break, five or ten minutes, take a break, now you're then it's an eight-hour process. Uh, and then you get back, and you got to clean your bike, and eventually you're going to need to, you know, change the oil and clean the filter, and yeah. you got to get your gear washed and all this crap. It's terribly inconvenient, but when you see the way these guys are doing it, it is awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> they drive up in a regular car. The gear's there. The bike's sano. They do their motos. They leave. Yeah. Um, it, it's you see that scenario, and you're like, this I really is living. This is life. There's so much open land in America. There's so much open land in America, places that are that are pretty populated, but like there's just wide open lands and I'm thinking like Texas or New Mexico or just go straight across the southwest. Um, yeah. That the whole industry, the OEMs, Mitch Payton, FMF, everyone should get together like a giant settlement and move out of SoCal and move somewhere where there's just land everywhere and we're all in this community together. 
because there's land in America, but it's not anywhere where the riders live, you know, except for these guys in Florida, yeah, you know, so. It, it was, it was, I mean, that's what Southern California was. Was, that's yes. Why it became what it became. Yeah. But it is far from that, um, yeah. far from that now. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, that's, that's why everybody rides mountain bikes now, because you can do it five minutes from your house. Yep. Um, the dirt bike thing is gnarly. But when you have a situation like this, I mean, they're literally commuting to work, and their work just happens to be a freaking crazy supercross track. And then they've got mechanics and trainers and, and their wives pro. and Lip pro their and here. Lip pro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't right. get much better than that. Like, yeah. if I won the lottery, I would just be like, yeah, I just want to buy my way into one of these. I'm not even going to race, but this is the way I want to ride every day. This is awesome. <laughs> this is great. Exactly. This is what I want to do. Um, yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, yeah, sounds like you had fun. Yeah. Eventful. Four days in Florida. Five oh. days in Florida. So. <laughs> That's why I had to do this. I'm like, we are doing a podcast. I have to tell a lesson stories. And, of course. <laughs> the Barry. The Barry. James. I'm telling you, James, go back. Get back to your roots with Barry. Get mean, get lean, you know. Barry will build you some shovel jumps, and everything will be all right. And if you need any parts for your RMZ, Barry's got those. Barry's got parts and everything. And if That's you, true. And if your motorhome breaks, James, Barry will fix it also. Barry fixes it. He does it for a living. Yes. He <laughs> motorhome mechanic. Of course he is. Of course, of course he is. he's a motorhome mechanic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, all right, the Racer X podcast is done by Fox Race and Jason Wygant. Thanks, buddy, and uh, thanks, brother. And uh, all right, thanks, brother. All right, Toronto. See ya. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Steve Mathis Show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck because that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. And, and McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, it, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, 
like beating a dead horse, I mean, you know. And I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. Hey, 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 hey.